Hey, ladies, I'm Jen Chappelle, and you're listening to In Sisterhood. Thanks so much for tuning in. So it's Monday while you're listening, but right now while I'm recording, it's Sunday night, the day before. What is time? This is so confusing. Anyway, this is my ticket out of doing the dishes. I just had a lovely dinner, and then I was like, hey, peace out, family. I've got to go downstairs and do some recording for the podcast. And so Travis, the Mr. and Sister, is upstairs doing the dishes and Lord knows what those children are doing. So this interview that you're about to hear was done yesterday, which is pretty cool. It was my first interview in about a month and I was experimenting using a new platform. So I wanted to use a guinea pig that I knew. (laughs) So my guest is Alyssa Maddox. She is the director and founder of the Retropolitan Craft Fair. And she's my guinea pig and she's my friend. So it was, it felt comfortable to try out a new, a new method of interviewing with someone that I was already comfortable with. And she has a a pretty amazing story. I had my eye on her for the podcast for a while. And when I reached out to her about it, she was a little hesitant and we had to get creative at first. But then, you know, part of her story is someone else's story. And she wanted to be very respectful of that other person's story. So we, uh, we worked it out and I'm so glad that we did because I feel like the things that Alyssa and I talk about are things that many, many women can identify with. So tighten up the old earbuds. Here's Alyssa and me chatting on in sisterhood. What have you been doing today so far? Um, this morning I woke up and I was like, I need to cook something. That's kind of been like the thing that saves me during this quarantine is just cooking. So I went and I bought some bread from, I don't know how to pronounce it. Is it Paysan? What the place? Oh yeah. Paysan? I don't know, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So I bought some sourdough bread from there and then uh, came home and I made bacon and egg and I used some pimento cheese that I got from magpies. And I just made this like dank sandwich. <laughs> that um, sounds delicious. It's so good. It's like, I have time to cook slow now, you know, like usually I'm cooking fast. Like what can I do to feed us all really quickly? But now I can cook slow. That so. sounds great. So I did that. <laughs> I did that this morning. I've done nothing but cook and eat carbs and it's a wonderful existence. <laughs> what a great day so far. Yes, it's been great. I'm still in my pajamas. My friends joke, they're like, are you ever going to get out of that sweatshirt? <laughs> I think like, I rotate between three sweatshirts. Thank you. 
<laughs> judging me. I was definitely going to ask you, I was going to go through like a, a, a checklist of personal hygiene. I was going to see if you had gotten dressed. I was going to see like, are your teeth brushed? Um, I have brushed my teeth. I do that every day for sure. What about floss? Have you flossed today? I have not flossed. A hundred percent have not flossed. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I always, um, we used like the little um, placards. They're like the portable flossers. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's one of the big holdouts of plastic in our lives. But um, we keep them in the car and we floss on the way to work. But now that we're not going anywhere... Um, my flossing routine is in the pits. Isn't that funny how like everybody has one piece of single use plastic that they just can't seem to quit? Like mine is crockpot liners. <laughs> like crockpot liners. Why can't I quit you? I can't, I can't <laughs> quit them. I just, I've gotten rid of so many things that are single use plastic, but I just can't. I'm not ready yet, Jen. It's just, <laughs> I still need them. And yours is placards. It is. It's placards, man. I'll take them to the grave. <laughs> <laughs> like, surely it balances out that we use cloth diapers for paper towels, right? Hopefully. I don't know. That totally balances itself out. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But I just can't quit my crockpot liners yet. No judgment here. Thank you. So when was the last time you showered? <laughs> I was waiting for you to ask me that question. <laughs> okay, so... To be totally honest, even when it's not quarantine, <laughs> I don't ever wash my hair. I wash my hair like twice a week because it's just a whole thing. And I am one of those weird people that hates showers. Like there's other people that love showers. Like I have a friend that showers twice a day sometimes. Holy cow. I know. She likes showering. Um but I don't. I, it's a whole thing. I have to wash my hair. Then I have to comb it. Then I have to put the curl product in. Then I have to lotion my whole body. It's like, <laughs> I just don't like showering. Um, I'm trying to think the last time I showered was, it's been a few days because I can't even remember now talking to you. Yeah. Maybe Wednesday. Yeah, maybe Wednesday. <laughs> I so I'm really glad I like to hear this because I I enjoy taking a shower but there's just um there's too many other things to do and it's like after the kids go to bed at night I'm like I don't want to take a shower like I want to just like hang out or like when I wake up in the morning I'm like no I I I need to eat I can't take a shower right now um I'm usually a once a week kind of a shower person, but yesterday I did a lot of work in our garden and I was gross. So I took a shower last night. Yeah, I definitely up my shower usage when the summertime and I have a shower cap now so that I don't have to Aww. get my hair wet. Um, so That's so adorable. <laughs> it's got little flowers on it and a little pink bow. <laughs> <laughs> I am not shocked that you have a shower cap. <laughs> it was a really great investment because, I mean, you know, my hair is like so thick that when it's wet, it's wet for a whole day. Oh, wow. Yeah. I will shower and then I'll flip my hair up into my clip and then I will let my hair out of my clip to go to bed and my hair will still be damp. Holy cow. So it's just a whole thing and I just don't want to do it. It's a big, that's a lot of steps. I don't blame you. 
Were you the same way where after you had kids, like your body was different? Like after I had Arthur, my skin just dried out. Like I have Mm. to use lotion so much and my face is so dry. Did you have anything weird like that after you had kids? I'm trying to remember. So like whatever postpartum hormone cocktail there was really agreed with my skin and it made me like I had this amazing glow um, now it's just kind of haggard. <laughs> um, but mostly it was a change in my hair. Yes, me too. My hair got dark. Like it used to be kind of blonde and it's yeah. very dark now. And I have to get highlights in it to make it look like what I feel like is me. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I have, mine hasn't changed in color. It's just changed in texture. Um, so now when it's like a little humid out, the little wispy parts around my face get spirally and yeah. I have a few random spiral curls in my hair and the rest of it is just stick straight. When I was pregnant, my hormones were so crazy. Like I had these sideburns, like my hair just kept growing oh, no. and I had these like long sideburn <laughs> baby hairs and I was like, what the heck is happening to me? Thankfully, those fell out when the like six month postpartum hair loss happens. Thank God. Golly. (laughs) Isn't it crazy? The things that we like the things that our bodies do in response to the stresses and and the taxation of of motherhood. It's so crazy. Like every single mole on my body doubled in size. Oh, no. When I was pregnant. I will not tell this story on the podcast, but I do have a hilarious mole removal story from being pregnant. (sighs) It is not it is not something I'm prepared to talk about here. If we're personal friends, you can message me and I'll tell you. Um, but I had to go get moles removed because they doubled in size when I was pregnant. It was crazy. Oh my gosh. So you and your husband are both working full time at home with a small child. How's that going? Um, I think we finally found a little bit of a rhythm. Um, We take turns. I have several meetings during the week. So the times that I have meetings, like on Mondays, I have an afternoon meeting. So I'll watch um, our son in the morning and I'll work in the afternoons and he'll work in the morning and we'll just swap. Um, So we each get about like six hours of work, but it's hard because you can hear your kid running around. Like I can hear if he's arguing with him or misbehaving, or I can hear if they're laughing and having a lot of fun. And I want to be there doing that. Or I can hear when they're watching Harry Potter and I'm really jealous, you know? So I, it's, I don't, it's hard to stay focused, but um, luckily work's been really flexible. And so like I'll work those six hours. And then if there's something I didn't get done, I'll do it after he goes to bed. But honestly, I'm really thankful for the weekends because I just constantly feel like, oh, I should be working. I'm not working. I should be working right now. I I didn't get enough time in today. I need to be working right now. And I'm having trouble, you know, when I'm with my son, I want to be with my son and engaged and giving him what he needs. Um, But then that's the only time I also have to recharge. So it's, it's really tiring. I had like a really good... (laughs) breakdown cry. I watched that Mr. Rogers movie and I had a really good cry. And then after that, I felt better. So I've been pretty good since then. That's good. (laughs) I, I, I know what you mean about needing to get like, sometimes you just need to cry without necessarily 
really targeting the emotions that are making you want to cry. It's just like you need a release valve. You don't need to like talk it to death. You just need a good cry. Yes, 100%. Movies are great for that. Yeah. And I often have the problem where like, I can't tell you what it is that's bothering me. I don't know what I'm anxious about. I don't know what I'm stressed about. I don't know what I'm afraid of, but I feel it in my body and I can tell it in my attitude because we've talked about this a little bit, but you know, my anxiety and my depression manifests as anger and rage. Um, and so I'm just, I can just feel tense and tight and angry, but I couldn't talk about it to get that cry up, you know? So sometimes I have to watch things. People are like, why do you like to watch sad movies? And I'm like, I just need to feel some things. Okay. (laughs) It's my therapy. (laughs) It is. We watched big fish the other day and I wept. That was good. I've, I don't think I've seen that. Oh, it's magical. You should see it. It's really good. I recommend it. Okay. I was I was having a, an anger day yesterday. I was just like fired up about things on several different fronts. And the thing that worked for me, I had I I worked in the garden. So I was like breaking up the soil with like the hand tiller and the hoe and I was like really giving it to the soil, you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> um and I felt loads better afterwards. So I was still like I still felt the anger simmering, but like yeah. So have you have you experienced the the anger during this quarantine period? Yeah. I I'm kind of a I like order. Um I'm not necessarily a perfectionist, but I'm a planner and I like things to go according to my plan, right? And in yeah. this stage I can't really have that that rarely happens <laughs> that yeah. I have that I have control over anything. And so I've gotten angry a couple times just because I couldn't control. And unfortunately that's most often my almost four year old that I just can't control, you know? Um, yeah. and I've gotten angry. Um, I snapped at him over some Legos the other day and I had to apologize. <laughs> I was like, I did not build this. I did not break it. Don't yell at me for trying to help you fix it. Um, but <laughs> I, yeah. I've had that happen before just because it's, you know, they're just, they have this pitch that's right in your ear and they're just screaming at you and they're not making any sense and you're trying your best and they don't appreciate it. And sometimes that just sort of gets to you. So unfortunately I've, I've had that happen with my son, but we always apologize. I don't know if you guys do that. We always apologize to our kids when we know we messed up, you know, it's like, yeah, I just feel like it's important for him to not think that I am incapable of those negative things, you know? he's not the only one that gets frustrated. I do too. And I apologize for it. Yeah. When I was, when I was, um, how, how old was Audrey? Maybe she was like 18 months old or no, she was younger than that. I, I was having, I'm pretty sure I was having postpartum depression, um, that manifested as anger. So I just didn't, you know, like, I just didn't know that it was depression. Um, cause I was just pissed off all the time. And I commented in a mom's Facebook group one time about, um, like, I'm yelling at my kid. Um, This is hard. I don't like that I'm yelling at my kid. I feel terrible about it. What, What can I do? And the responses that I got from that group, I don't really post in that group anymore, um, were very judgmental. Like you should not be yelling at your child. Um, 
like no shit right obviously yeah. like <laughs> we're not like supposed to yell at our kids but there has to be and i've talked to my therapist a lot about it in the past that like your kids have to see your how you express your emotions they they have to know like oh well there are the the ways that i act make people feel certain certain things um and I've always heard the repair, the apology is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we, we say, sorry, it sucks. Sometimes, sometimes it's really easy as I'm like, Oh my God, I feel like a terrible person. Other times I'm like, it might take a day or two. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I feel that you can say that to me. I feel that. And I have also felt judged for that too. Um, But I'm a human and I have, flaws. And I told my husband, I feel like kids are just a magnifying glass to all the flaws that you already had, but now you can see them even bigger. And it's like, I see my son doing things and I'm like, Oh no, that's me. That's he got that Mm. from me. That's definitely me. (laughs) But it's also a good learning tool because since that's been magnified and since I really don't want him to struggle with that, like I do, I am sort of forced to work on it. And look at it. Yeah. Whereas before I might have lived a lot longer and not dealt with it. Does that make sense? Um, Definitely. So, you know, I always feel like he teaches me a lot about myself and the kind of person I need to be. But it is hard to be stuck with him. I was telling someone I, I never had <laughs> any. Yes, I'm stuck in this house with him. Um <laughs> When I had children, my plan was never to stay home with them. My plan was to be a working mom because that's what I Mm -hmm. want for myself. I like working. Um, Nothing at all. Oh, my gosh, I have nothing but respect even more so now for stay-at-home moms. But for me personally, it wasn't my goal that I wanted. Um, And I didn't think I'd ever have to do it. And so now being home with them all the time and having to work, it's. I mean, it's hard for me to not have that outlet. Um, I'm really, I mean, surprised to no one. I'm an extrovert. Um, (laughs) So it's just hard for me to be here. Um, There's just been times that I'll just go in the car and drive, you know, just to have the windows down and feel kind of normal and sing my music and feel the wind and just escape for just a second. (laughs) Exactly. I, yesterday I went, to Stanley's to buy some plants for the garden. And I put on a podcast and it was the furthest I'd been away from home because, you know, we live in West Knoxville. So South Knoxville was like, oh my gosh, I'm so far away. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was the furthest I'd been away from home in like a month. And then instead of when I stopped my car, I was not at Stanley's. I was at IAMS. I just totally zoned out and landed at IAMS. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so did you take a walk? Cause that's kind of serendipitous. No, I didn't take a walk because Travis was taking, t- he was trying to do the kids and do work mm-hmm. at the same time. And so I was trying to be respectful of that time. Um, so yeah, I didn't take a walk, but I got to take a walk around the neighborhood early this morning and that was lovely. So but I can't wait until I get my my nature walks back in. Yeah. Because miss that. 
luckily we live on the dogwood trail, so it's just stunning right now. Everybody oh. and everyone's had all this time to do their yard, so it's like fresh mulch and their bushes are perfectly manicured and all the flowers yeah. are blooming and it's just gorgeous. So we take a walk once a day at least because it's just so pretty right now. Quarantine perks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So we talked about a little bit about like what your life is like now. And you mentioned, you know, that you wanted to be a full-time working mom. So why don't you tell us what life was like before quarantine? Okay. Um, So I'm a television producer. I'm one of the weird people that actually does what they've always wanted to do for a living. I, (laughs) I first discovered this career when I was in sixth grade and I was like, Oh, I want to make TV. So um, oh my gosh, you are Leslie Nope. <laughs> That's the nicest compliment I've ever received. <laughs> it's true. Um, but yeah, so I get to produce television and I really enjoy it. Um, but I produce true crime television, so it's also really sad. Um, and sometimes you see the worst of humanity. Actually, every day you see the worst of humanity. So that kind of got me to start the Retropolitan Craft Fair with some friends just to have an outlet. So I work regularly. And then twice a year, I put on a craft fair here in town um, that I really enjoy. It's just like a nice outlet. Um, I am part, I'm actually the president. Sounds so fancy. I'm the president of uh, the workout group I go to, Knoxville Beauty Hunters. And I go there twice a week. Um, In my postpartum phase, I, like you, felt like I was angry, but I didn't realize that it was depression. Um, but going to beauty hunters kind of helped me get out of that. So that's kind of non-negotiable between me and my husband as I get to go work out twice a week. Um, that's awesome. It's awesome. It's just like, no matter what, we don't plan anything on Mondays and Thursdays cause that's mommy's time. Um, so I usually go to work, take care of my kid, take him to his precious little school that I miss, um, <laughs> and do my workouts. And plan my craft fair. And I'm usually, I'm usually out and about every single day talking to someone, doing something with someone. So this is a big change. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's very different. (laughs) (laughs) Is your son's school engaging? I mean, he's just in preschool, so it's not like he was required to learn anything, but like, is his school still engaging with you guys in any way? Like, Mm-hmm. My daughter's school is doing a circle time on Zoom sometimes. Yeah, so they have a schedule, which is nice. They um, He goes to a Montessori school, and they'll do the circle time on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then I really like this on Mondays at 9.45 every morning, um, on every Monday morning. Um, his teacher will call him and just talk to him one-on-one. Oh, I know it's Is really that great. just not the sweetest thing? And it's so cute because he just loves his teachers. And he'll say, I love you, Miss Allison. I love you, Mr. Blake. Oh. It's just like so cute. Cause, and it's nice to see that bond staying. And I've been really thankful for that. I mean, he's not too, they make videos too, but he's mm-hmm. just not interested unless he can interact with them. Mm-hmm. So I'm very thankful that we don't have to do proper schooling, like teaching math and things like that. They just come up with activities and, you know, if he wants to do it that day, we'll do it. He's gotten actually pretty good at scissors since we've been home. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's, they're still providing stuff, but he's not like doing a curriculum. 
I think we need to just like mention for a moment how amazing teachers are. And I mean, so my experience and your experience is preschool because our kids aren't old enough to be in regular school yet. But (laughs) I have been blown away by my kids' teachers and the things that they've done to reach out and support them and stay connected with them. And they, preschool teachers don't get paid very much money at all. Mm-hmm. And they're still just the rock stars. It's, it's incredible. They come up with different things every week and, you know, they've had to kind of change their curriculum. This isn't stuff that they just had prepared because they thought they were going to be with us, you know? So they've been doing an amazing job and providing stuff. And and like I said, just the one-on-one time that he's been Mm -hmm. getting, that blew me away that they're taking time to call all 20 something kids and spend 15 minutes with every kid. I mean, that's nice. That's a lot. That's really sweet. Yes. That's so sweet. So that's been really good. I've been really impressed with that as well. It makes me feel like we made the right choice with our school. Oh, definitely. Very affirming. Yeah. Yeah. You feel when you're making those decisions, I don't know if you were like this. I was just, oh, am I doing, am he, is he where he needs to be? Because I took Arthur out oh. of his daycare and he had all these friends to take him to this preschool. And I thought, oh, did I make the right choice? And now I'm thinking, oh, I made the right choice. This is good. Good. That's nice to hear. It's nice to feel like confident in your choice, you know? Yeah. Cause it, it, you could just get pulled so many different ways. You know, parents are like, Oh, I can't believe you had your kid in daycare. And, or I can't believe you're doing Montessori or I can't believe you're blah, blah, blah. So many people have so many opinions about everything. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Kills me. <laughs> it kills me. So you guys are connecting with his school that way. And then the other thing that you mentioned was the beauty hunters. So how are you connecting with them still right now? And and also, so two-part question. Also, what is what does the president do? <laughs> well, I've only been the president since November, so I don't really know. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, What I can tell right now is that the president helps make decisions for the board and the president lines up all the parks that we go to because we work out outside. So that is something that I have done is connected with the city and gotten the payments and filled out all the paperwork and helped connect to get our insurance so that we can have our workouts at the parks whenever this ends, this quarantine ends. Um, So I've done that. Um, And then like if there's bad weather, I'll help call if we're going to cancel the class or not. But Um, to connect with beauty hunters, we've been trying to post workouts on our Instagram and our Facebook, um, for people to do. And then I have a close group of about, gosh, maybe seven women. And we just independently two to three times a week have been doing a Google hangout workout. So that's cool. We'll pick a random workout. Um, and then we'll all hop on the Google Hangouts call and then we'll work out for about 30 minutes to an hour. And at this point, we've done the class so many times that we don't really need to teach each other how to do the exercises. And then we're exercising at home. So we're moving and we're getting, you know, that energy. But then we're also socializing. So it's a time that I can see my mom who's on it. And um, I can see my sister who's in the group. And I can see my co- coworker who goes to the class is in the group. And I can see my friend, you know, so it's been really nice to have that as my outlet because I, 
I mean, exercise videos are nice and I love that that's an option for people to do at home, but it's just nice to be able to connect with a person while I'm working out. Um, so we've been doing that. I think we did it three times this week and everybody needs it. Like the day we do it, I always get a text that says, okay, are we doing it tonight? Cause I need this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm hanging on by a thread. <laughs> And then the person who started Beauty Hunters, Sarah Morrow, she does a Zoom workout at 10 a.m. on Monday, Wednesday, and maybe Friday. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to be trained by her, it's just donation-based because she's a personal trainer. And you understand this, not making any money if you can't be in person with somebody. Right. Um, So she's been doing that. And she's very pregnant. Or has she had her baby? She's very pregnant right now. She's like 32 weeks or... 34 weeks. She's very pregnant. Wow. But yeah, so she's, she's like awesome. It's so funny to watch her like doing pushups or dips or something. And her son's like climbing on her back and she's big pregnant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's another way that, you know, the BD hunters people are trying to stay connected. Cause like I said before, they kind of saved my life after I had my son. So I just kind of need it. Yeah. You got to stay plugged in. Mm-hmm. And so then there was supposed to be a craft fair, a Retropolitan craft fair on May something or another, but you guys pushed that back to the end of June, right? Yes. Uh, it was supposed to be May 3rd, but at the time the CDC had put out an eight week band and that ended the next week for gatherings of 50 people or more. Mm. So we made the decision to push to the end of June I still have this ache in my stomach that it won't be able to happen. Um, Mm. I hope it can because craft fair season's the best time of the year. (laughs) I love craft fair season. (laughs) What do you love so much about it? Um, I just love the atmosphere of craft fairs. I like going to different cities and going to different craft fairs. Like I try to go to Porterflea in Nashville whenever I can. And I like the atmosphere it's always like you walk in and they're playing all your favorite music and everybody's happy. And then you get to see these things that people made and they're so talented and they're so cute. And it just brings me joy. And I always spend way more money than I ever should. Um, which also <laughs> makes me feel good. <laughs> yeah. Cause you're helping them. Yes. Yes. I'm hel- It's all for them. I'm helping them. Um, yeah, you're, it's a selfless act. Totally. Um, it's, I just love the vibe. Like, I never, it's a lot of work to plan one of these, but when you're there, it doesn't feel like you're working at all. You're just hanging out with all your friends and you're having the best day. And so I I just hope we get to have it in June. We didn't want to push it any farther than that because we didn't want it to be too close to our November fair, you know, and make people like, oh no, I just went there. I don't need to go in December, you know? So if we don't get to have it in June, then we won't come back until hopefully, I mean, who knows the way this is going. We won't come back until November. If for some mm. reason we can't do it in November, then I guess we'll just have a year hiatus, which will be crazy because I've been doing this for. It's been a long time. Yeah. I don't even remember when I started it. 2014, 2015. Yeah. 2014. It was, it was 2014 because I was heavily pregnant. Mm. Um, the first, the first time you had it. Yeah, You I came remember. to the very first fair. And I remember that made me so happy that you guys came. Oh, it was so cool. I remember being like, you know, I honestly don't think we bought anything because we were just like, oh my gosh, we're about to have a baby. (laughs) I'm not going to be able to work. Um, But 
it was so fun. And like the photo booth was fun. And it was just like, it was such a cool, it was such a cool thing. Like when I think about, or previously when I thought about craft fairs, I'd only had experience at like, I think my high school had a craft fair and it was like a community craft fair or like a church craft fair where everything's kind of like, just not my style. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like harder to find the things that, that spoke to my style. It was more like, it felt like an older style. Um, So the retro craft fair is like, so hip um <laughs> you know we try so cool. <laughs> yeah yeah um we definitely we we curated it to be goods that are our style you know we taylor always jokes it's not your grandmother's craft fair but i bet she'd have a good time <laughs> <laughs> you know it's um and we always wanted to make it an experience where you would hang out you know, so you come and, you know, you get your bevy and you walk around with your friends and then you go outside and you draw with chalk with your kids and then you come back in and you shop some and then you have your lunch outside and you play cornhole, you know, so we just try to make it kind of like a party where you can buy cool stuff. Sounds like a great party. (laughs) It's my favorite party. So hopefully we get to have it in June. And what's the date? Is it June 28th? June 28th is the current date. Yes. Okay. Well, we'll we'll throw that up with this just in case that it does get to happen. We we have our fingers crossed. Oh, thank you. Me too. So, really on like a day-to-day level, you're not doing too much with retro throughout the year unless it's like right up right near one of those two craft fair dates, right? Well, I'm probably the only member of our team that has to do something regularly throughout the year because I run our social media. So hard. I mean, it's not like it's that hard to do when it's not craft fair season, but when it's not craft fair season, I try to still post things or that's the time where, you know, Lacey will send me an artist that she likes and I'll start trying to engage with them on social media, liking, commenting, just like making them aware of our brand or inviting people and just mentioning it to them. So probably weekly, I do something for the fair. I do more for the fair, probably seven months out of the year, you know? Um, Yeah. Because, you know, I have to start before everybody else because I'm the person that sends all the emails out to potential sponsors, you know? So there's like things that I do that start or stay going on a little bit longer, but they don't, they aren't as labor intensive as, you know, when we're all trying to curate the fair and going through all the applications or when Taylor's doing all the taxes. Oh my God, God bless her. Um, like, oh, gosh. She's the business man, uh, major of the three of us. So thank God for her. Um, Cause Lacey's just total art kid and I'm like half art kid, half business kid. And you know, like, when it comes to taxes, although Lacey's had to learn a heck of a lot more now since she's owned her doula business, but I, for one, haven't, thank God, because I have Taylor to do it. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But, you know, Taylor's the one that keeps up with the Excel spreadsheets because Lacey and I just don't want to do that. <laughs> I love you, Taylor. And that's fun. <laughs> and it's so great that you have somebody on the team that that's what they like to do. Yeah, um, that was one thing, you know, I heard when I went to a conference once where it was like, if there's something that you're not good at or that doesn't bring you joy, farm that out. 
you know, like if you have the ability to farm that out to someone else, do it. That's the first thing that goes. But I mean, I started the fair. Taylor's been there from the beginning. She was like the first person that said yes to the whole idea of it. But um, she just loves Excel spreadsheets, man, and organizing. And she's awesome like that. So she handles that for us. Go Taylor. Oh my God. She's like the unsung (laughs) hero of the craft fair. She's like, it really would not happen without her doing all the paperwork that I don't know how to do. (laughs) You know, I still don't think I've met her. I'm, I, I've seen a picture of her and I'm sure I probably like saw her at the fair and like smiled at her or something, but I don't think I've never like done a shake and howdy with her or anything. So we'll have to do that. Um, next time you come to the fair, I will introduce you. She, we danced together in high school and we were roommates in college. Um, she's a really wonderful person, um, that I think you'll really like. She's just really genuine and kind and I love her. I love genuine and kind. She is. She's so good. And she's obsessed with the golden girls before that became cool. Like now that's like Um, your hip thing to like, Oh yeah, I watched the golden girls. Well, Taylor's been doing that since high school. So (laughs) where did you guys go to high school? Was it here in Knoxville? So she went to Farragut and I went to Oak Ridge, but we danced at the same uh, dance Academy. Oh, okay. And then we both went to UT. Okay. Yeah. So did you, I don't think I realized that you were an Oak Ridger. Oh, yeah. I'm a Ridger. Okay. Yeah. Ridgers love to get to say that they're from Oak Ridge. That's like a very proud thing for people for some reason. Yeah. Did you know that Travis was born in Oak Ridge? I did. Um, <laughs> I I think it's funny um, that I became kind of friends with him before I met you because we worked together. But I was thinking about this before I did this podcast, how like, I was like, how did I become friends with Travis? And I said, oh, I kind of made him be my friend. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you have to do. (laughs) I just kept talking to him until he would talk back. (laughs) But in one of our early talks where I just kept talking to him until he became my friend, um, it came up that he had family in Oak Ridge and all that. But yeah, I just made him be my friend because I liked him. That's so awesome. Um, So what did your parents do? So my mom, she works at a bank. She's worked for banks my whole life. She actually just got a promotion. She's now the vice president of her bank. One of the vice presidents. Oh, that's awesome. Shout out to my mom. I'm so proud of her. Um, (laughs) But she was a teller when I was growing up. And then my dad, he worked for a company called Renta Center. He was a manager there. And then he started working for another company called United Rentals. And then through that, they're like a construction renting company. Like they'll rent the equipment you need to, uh, like if you need a wood chopper or something like that, or if you're like making a building and you need something really big, they'll rent that kind of construction equipment that you don't want to own. Well, then through that, he opened up his own concrete business. So now he's a business owner. But growing up, he just worked all the time. Really? Yeah. Like my, I have a friend, her dad used to say that my mom just hired someone to show up at birthday parties because my, oh. my dad worked all the time. It was like, he worked six days a week and on the seventh day he fished cause he earned it. Um, <laughs> but they, um, they got married really young and they had like, my mom was 20 when she had me and, um, you know, didn't finish college. So they had to work really hard. Um, yeah. Growing up. So my parents, we're always working. My dad's life motto is work hard, play hard. So I've met your dad and, and 
I don't remember. And I've called him for like a, a concrete estimate, but I don't remember the name of his business. But I, I wanted to, I want you to give him a shout out. Oh, yeah. So my dad owns A Plus Concrete. Um, and you should definitely call him to get a quote because they're still working. <laughs> Even in the quarantine, <laughs> they're still working. Um, it's actually funny because all these businesses are closed. So now they can do those projects that they couldn't do when they were open. Oh, well, that's a, that's a silver lining. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So. And you have a younger sister, right? Yeah. My sister. Yeah. My sister's six and a half years younger than me, which I learned on a podcast that I was listening to of yours the other day that you have a sister who's six years different. Seven years younger. Seven, yeah. yeah. So yeah, my sister and I are six and a half. Um, wow. Mm-hmm. And she lives in Knoxville. And like I said, we work out together every week. We're really good friends. That's really cool. We were not friends growing up because the age difference is very different when you're in high school and your sister's in elementary school. But <laughs> we were friends when I yeah. got out like, to college. <laughs> so when my sister was born, I was pissed. Um, <laughs> so I was like, I was, I've been running this show for seven years. I can relate to that. I can relate. <laughs> did you, did you, um, did you ever experience your like anger about that coming out? And cause I have, okay, I'm not, I'm stammering. Um, I have memories of how I tortured my sister. Oh my gosh. <laughs> It wasn't actual, like it was, but it was mean. I was mean because I was mad, mad that, that she was, that she was there. I love her deeply. Um, and I, I feel like we have a good relationship now, but, um, yeah. So did, did that, how did, how did that go for you? <laughs> well, I will never live down the fact that one time I referred to her as the evil one. <laughs> I don't even remember doing it, but apparently I called her the evil one one time and my family brings it up all the time. Um, I, I think I was jealous of my sister. And so I was mean, meaner to her because I was jealous. And so I, in adulthood, I've apologized to her for that. And she's like, I don't remember you ever being mean. I'm like, great, good. Pretend I never said anything, but I was. That's so awesome. (laughs) Um, Because my sister remembers. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I didn't like. I just was ugly. Like I wasn't always my best to her, you know, it's just like, no, you can't come in here or, you know, just teasing her, you know, for a school photo where her hair looked weird, just picking on her, you know, just not being, Oh yeah. Not being kind. I mean, part of that was youth and part of it was just like jealousy, but yeah. Yeah. But now we're really, really close. Like when I went to college and she was in high school, we became really good friends. So you, you said you went to UT. What did you major in? Um, my major was journalism and electronic media, and my minor was cinema studies. So the same thing as Lacey, which is funny because we never actually cross paths. Isn't that funny? Yeah, that is funny. That's so funny. And you said that you wanted to do, you knew in sixth grade that that's what you wanted to do. Yeah, I did a club called Technology Student Association, and we made a video. Like I was in video challenge was what the competition was. Um, and I loved it, um, producing it, filming it, writing it, editing it. Um, and that is so cool. Yeah. And I remember when I chose journalism as my major, my dad, cause he's so business minded. He was like, are you sure you don't want to get a business minor? And I was like, yeah, I'm good. I don't want one. <laughs> I'm good. I'll be fine. What is that like to know exactly what you wanted to do from such a young age? I don't know. I think it's kind of like 
par for the course for my personality is like they're, I don't know, I'm trying to describe this. So there's a plan for my life, right? So yeah. Is there, is it your plan? Whose plan is it? I I don't know. In the beginning it was a combo, but like, I am going to finish high school and I'm going to make really good grades and I'm going to go to college and I'm going to become a video producer. And I don't know yet if that means I have to move, but hopefully I don't because I don't want to move. I want to stay right here and I'm going to get married and I'm going to have kids and I'm going to have a 401k and a house. And like, it was like, I, my friend Catherine and I, my best friend Catherine and I, we always joke that like, we have wanted just like a regular nine to five, uh, 401k vacation time job since we were like young and all of our friends were dreaming about driving through Italy and like <laughs> <laughs> not having a job or working on some sort of commune. Like <laughs> we were like, Oh man, I can't wait to start my retirement savings. And <laughs> <laughs> so you, you knew all of that from the time that you were in sixth grade? Well, the, what were you, 11? Well, not those stages. That was high school. Okay. That was high school. Okay. But sixth grade, it okay. was my job is going to be making TV. I knew that I was going to college and I was going to study whatever it is you study to make television. So you mentioned in that plan that like you knew you were going to finish high school. Was that some, was that like, had you just seen how hard your parents had worked or like because they didn't get to uh, to college and your mom didn't get to finish college or anything like that. And you just knew that you wanted life to not be that hard or you didn't want to struggle that much. Or was it more like they were saying like, don't do what we did or, you know, I think it was honestly Oak Ridge schools. There was never really talked about an option of not going like mm. everything I was always doing was on a college track. Like I was on the course to do this. I took my AP tests. I was on, I was learning how to do essays because in college I would need to know how to do essays. Like everything was always, you're going to do this in college. Um, Mm. and then from a personal standpoint, my mom and dad just, you know, always pushed that, you know, like an education is something no one can ever take away from you. Like no matter what. Oh my gosh. That's it. Sorry. I didn't, that's exactly what Travis's mom has always said to him. Those, that, those are her words yeah. too. And you know, no one can ever take that away from you. And my mom, especially, she was like, I never want you to be in a position where you're dependent on a man to be able to support yourself and you're in a bad situation and you can't leave because you can't afford to leave and you don't have a mm. trade or a skill or something to support yourself. Um, so she was like, you, I mean, from pretty young, she told me that, which kind of scared me, but it was like, you have to be self-sufficient so that you can take care of yourself. So it was just sort of always part of the plan. Like I have to get that. I have to go to college. There's like no other option. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's really cool that your mom was frank Yes, in that way. She was. I, I mean, I kind of remember that conversation in, in high school you know, just, and then she just, she said it a couple times throughout our lives that like, you know, this is just something that you need to know how to do for yourself. And it's funny, like, I'm, I'm really lucky because my parents paid for my college and I don't have any debt, which I now realize is the greatest gift of my life. Thank you, mom and dad. Um, That's huge. Yeah. But when I 
when I was dating my husband, when we were still dating and I had just graduated college, I knew that he wanted to ask me to marry him. And I remember sitting down at dinner one night and I said, I need you to wait one year because I need to live at least one year without my parents helping pay for my life and without my husband helping me pay for my life. I was like, I have to be able to at least say that one year of my life, I did it all by myself, you know? Yeah, Um, that's really cool. And he respected that. But I remember being at dinner and he was kind of trying to fish to see how I felt about it because I think we would have gotten married earlier if, you know, he had gone according to his plan. But I was like, no, I just need at least one year. How did you guys meet? Um, so we were supposed to meet at a My Chemical Romance Muse concert, but I had to do a project that night and I couldn't go and I was so mad. Um, but I didn't know I was going to meet him there. I thought I was going to meet our friend Blake, who's now Arthur's school teacher, um, which is kind of full circle, but I was in Nashville with a friend and we went to go visit my friend Blake and... I met my husband at a Mexican restaurant and uh, he wooed me by playing guitar hero um, on expert. And uh, he lived in Nashville at the time and he had already graduated and had a job. And I lived in Knoxville, still in college. And in order to, we started like chatting on AIM. This is how long ago it was. We chatted on AIM and Uh, In order to date me, he went to grad school. So I'm a very expensive girlfriend because he didn't, he didn't need to or want to go to grad school, really. He just like needed an excuse to move for a girl and didn't want, it should just be, I moved for this woman. (laughs) So he came to UT for grad school then? Yeah. So then he went to grad school and actually Blake moved up here too and went to UT with him. And yeah, we started dating then and dated the rest of my college career and he never actually finished grad school. He's an art school dropout. Um, <laughs> he just got a job. <laughs> I'm sure his parents are really mad about all the money they helped pay for that grad school. And then he didn't finish it. But now they have a grandson. Mm-hmm. So right. It's okay. And it's, he's named after my father-in-law. So he better be like really happy. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so what, how far into college were you when you guys met? I, we, he asked me to be his girlfriend the night of my 20th birthday. Oh, wow. That is so young. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was, I met him when I was 19, started dating right when I turned 20. And then I've seen, I've seen some pictures of his proposal (laughs) to you. Do you want to tell us about that? Sure. Every time I tell this story, I just like feel like it didn't happen to me because it was so crazy. Um, <laughs> he uh, invited me to go on a destination unknown. Um, my grandparents do those dates where like one of them will just pick something that they're going to do and not tell the other what it is. Um, That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, you should try it with Travis sometime. It's really f- kind of special. But I had this feeling that he was going to ask me to marry him. So I looked really cute. and um he took me to go see beauty and the beast at the tennessee theater and the whole time he was acting kind of weird like i was cold and he was hot but he kept his jacket on because he didn't want to give me his jacket and i thought that's rude but the ring was in his pocket (laughs) and at the end of the play 
they said that there was a contest for the prince and princess of the day and that we'd won. And I looked at him weird. Oh. I was like, oh, God, you're going to propose to me in front of all these people. And uh, we went on stage and Belle gave me a crown and a rose. And he got down on one knee and I was shaking. And the only thing I remember is he said, Alyssa Renee Walker, will you marry me? He said my full name. Um, he said other things before that, but I don't remember what he said. Um, and I said, yes. And I remember being in the wings and he said, your whole family's here in the audience. And that's when I cried. Cause he had, he had gone to my mom and dad first to ask permission. Then he went and had dinner individually with both sets of my grandparents to ask their permission to marry me. Um, which just meant so much to me because the fact that he had my family there meant that he knew me, you know, like, mm-hmm. Oh, he didn't just, he wasn't just proposing. He knows me who I am and knows that I would want them here. And so of course I just wept. Um, Aww. but my sister always gives him grief. She's like, you asked everybody, but me. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> and he's like, you were like 15 years old. I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah. And when we were leaving, all of the guys were looking at him like, oh, my God, how am I ever going to live up to this, you jerk? <laughs> oh, my gosh. So that's so funny. And it's so interesting, too, to hear. So, like, the whole idea of asking a bride's family for permission to get married seems like a very, very traditional practice. And at the same time, you had a mom who sat you down and said, you need to know how to take care of yourself so that you don't have to rely on a man. So how do you, how do those two like traditional and non-traditional views, how do those mesh in your, in your experience? Um, I think for us, it's a level of respect he wanted them to know that he respects them and he honors them and wants their permission to enter their family. Not mm. so much. Um, I will now be responsible for your daughter. And this is a, <laughs> an exchange yeah. of goods. You will give me this cow and I will take your kid. And, um, <laughs> oh my gosh. But I think it was a thing of respect and love. Like um, my grandma talks about how they just cried when he, when he asked because they thought how meaningful it was that he took their opinion and and wanted their blessing for our marriage. It wasn't so much permission as it was like a blessing that Mm. that I join your family in. Um, And that's how we always viewed it. And um, my mom's actually like really liberal, if you couldn't tell from her, her thing. So I think for her, it was just respect. She always jokes that, uh, on the way to meet my husband, that my dad was so mad. He was like, we're going to get there and he's going to propose to her. And he, I thought he would ask, I just thought he would ask me. And then, Aww. and then they got there and he was by himself. And my dad was really relieved. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> it was like really sweet that when we got married, um, we got married at my grandma's house in her backyard. And, uh, Everyone had gone out and it was just me and my dad standing in my grandmother's bedroom waiting to go out. And my dad looked at me and he said, I just want you to know that I am 100% on board and I absolutely love the man you've chosen to be with. And I, I have no doubts. 
And I just remember looking at my dad and just like almost hitting him being like, why did you just say that right now? Like, My mascara is going to run. I just had my makeup <laughs> touched up. Like that's the most tender <laughs> moment of my whole life. But also, oh my God, I'm going to weep. Um, yeah, I feel like I want to cry too. <laughs> it was really beautiful. And if you know my dad, you know, he's, you know, he's a man of few words and just sort of, you know, just doesn't show that kind of emotion often. So when he does, it's very, very special. So it made me feel good. Like, yeah. Oh, he, he's on board. This is, this feels right for me, but it also feels right for my family. Cause my family is really important to me. That is, that's very sweet. That's very sweet. It was really good. And so I want to, I want to rewind a little bit. Oh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> you mentioned that you asked for one year before your husband proposed to you. Mm -hmm. So like you graduated from college and what did you do in that year? What did that year look like? Um, I went to Australia with my girlfriend. Um, Whoa. I, I did this thing and I want to say this because if there's anyone young out there, uh, I was really fortunate that every year of college, I went to a different country and traveled. So while you're young and you don't have a job and well, you have a job, but it's some sort of BS job that you can break away from and start a new one uh, to travel as much as possible. Um, I would spend all my money on traveling, but I graduated and then I went to Australia with my friend and then I moved in uh, with my best friend and uh, I worked at jewelry television. That was I got an internship that was paid there and I worked there. And unfortunately I had to work seconds and then third shift, which was Oof. woof bad, but you got to put in your time, I guess. And then in August of that year, I um, started working at where I work now. So I just worked and I had fun and I traveled and um, spent time with my now husband and, just sort of did my own thing a little bit, but you know, I, I just wanted to be self-sufficient. How long were you in Australia? We went for just a couple weeks. Um, okay. but, uh, it was pretty fun. It's like, I graduated and then we just like immediately went to Australia, which was like the farthest we could go. We were like, where should we go? We just like, Oh, this is the farthest we could go. Let's just do that. Cause we'll never get to go here again is what we were thinking. <laughs> like, yeah, we're about to start working. And like, when are, when's the next time we're going to get to just go to Australia? So me and one of my girlfriends who I traveled with probably the most in college, we went. It was really fun. I'm jealous. Sounds like so much fun. It was so good. I try to get my cousins, like when they graduate from high school, I like give them money to buy their passports because I want them to go travel because it's just so fun. That's a great, that's a great gift. What a great graduation present. Yeah. Just give them the money for how much it costs to get that. And I just printed all the paperwork so that like, here you go. I hand this to you. I've done all the work. You just go get your picture taken and turn it in. <laughs> Aw, that's sweet. It's a good grad gift. That's that's really sweet. So you started when you started at the place that you work right now, what was your were you the same job title as you are now or were you a little lower on the ladder? Oh no. I um I interviewed at my company four times before I got a job. And oh wow. Um, but luckily, like the first time I interviewed, I had emailed the vice president and I was like, I just want to know what I can do to become an employee, like what you're looking for. And so he 
interviewed me and I just talked about the kinds of things that he wants. And then from then on out, he called me when there was a job opening. Wow. And so I would come in and interview. And the last one, where did, sorry, sorry. Where did you get the idea to do that? I don't know. I just did it. I sent one to all the production companies in town and two, two people got back to me and I interviewed with them. Um, but I just was like, I just need to know what they're looking for. Cause this is where I want to be. And I don't, mm. I don't know what they're looking for. So I just, I just cold, I found the, his email on the internet, <laughs> just cold emailed him. <laughs> um, but then the last time I interviewed the show wasn't ready yet, but he wanted me to be there. So he made me the receptionist. Oh, wow. So I was the receptionist for a couple months until the show was like official greenlit. And then I became a production assistant. And then I just climbed the ladder there, production assistant to AP, to post producer, to series producer, to co-executive producer. And I've been there for, oh my gosh, I will have been there 10 years in August. Woo. (laughs) That's a long time, right? It is. It is a long time, but I really like it. I don't know. And how has it been working at the same place as your husband? I think he would say he doesn't like it, but I like it. Oh, he doesn't like it because I'll just pop in and say hi sometimes. And he's like, I'm trying to work, you know, <laughs> or like, Oh yeah. And, and I'm like, your friends come in and say hi. And there was like, he's like, I don't live with my friends and I don't carpool with them on the way here. Like I just need a break. <laughs> but yeah, I'm like, Oh, but, but like, I'm your friend. Um, so I, I, I think probably he doesn't like it as much as I do, but they never put us on the same project because the way my job works, I would have to give him notes or I would have to be in a role that's kind of like his superior. And mm. it, it would just probably cause some tension for like us to have be home with each other and working and all this other stuff. So yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. So we have to have, I mean, I am, I struggle with boundaries, so I just have to mm-hmm. like learn that he needs a little bit more a uh, separate time than I do as a person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so as I've gotten older, I've, and honestly, in this quarantine, it's sort of, clicked a little bit more that like, okay, I need to respect what he needs to recharge, even if it's different than what I need. And I, I feel like, is he an introvert? He's not an introvert. He's an extrovert, right? Would you say? I think he is that weird category, introverted extrovert. Like Lacey? Yeah. Yeah. Well, him and Lacey are the same Enneagram type. Um, and they're both only children. And, um, well, he has a half sister, but he wasn't raised with her. Um, him and Lacey, they, Lacey talks about all the time how like they are. That's so funny. Yeah, I think that's really funny. Actually, I'm friends with a ton of fours on the Enneagram, which I think is interesting. But I think that's what I am as a four. You're a four. Yeah, it's the I think it's the artistic kind of tortured artist is what I call it. I'm sure there's a technical <laughs> name for it, but I just always tell my husband that he's that tortured artist type on the Enneagram because he just feels so many feelings. Yeah, all the feelings. Mm-hmm. All the feelings. So how long were you guys together married before you had your son? Before we had Arthur, we were together for or married for four years. So that means we had been together for eight. Mm-hmm. Right? No, it might. My, my, wow. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think we were together four years. I had Arthur when I was 28. Okay. Okay. And I was about to turn 29. Yeah. 
you already mentioned that you like knew that you wanted to be a working mom, but after you had your son, did you like feel your priorities change or did you like feel like you started viewing your work in a different way? I think this is when we start to get into like a lot of complicated things in my life. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, and I don't really know how to step into it. I don't know how you want to step into it, but, um, however you want. Okay. You're in charge. Okay. Well, I'm going to walk it back. Um, so when you first started your podcast, I was excited and, <laughs> Yay. and then I thought, well, I'm kind of friends with Jen. I wonder if she'll ask me and <laughs> I was excited. And then I was terrified because, um, if you asked me, then I couldn't do it without being honest about some hard stuff, um, that I've had to deal with in my life because I didn't want to just talk about, Oh, I'm the president of this board and I own this craft fair and I have a kid who's so beautiful and I have a husband and I have a dog and we own a house and I'm a producer. And I felt like I couldn't do this podcast and not talk about the other side of my life, which is um, when my, when I became pregnant, my, it became very clear that my husband was struggling with alcoholism. Mm. Um, and so I've, I debated and I talked with you and you've been really good about it, whether or not I wanted to do the podcast at all, if I couldn't be genuine, whether I wanted to do it anonymously. Um, and ultimately I, through talking to my husband decided that I wanted to do it using my name, but not his Mm -hmm. because uh, maybe some things that I said could help other people. Mm -hmm. Um, but as we start talking about when my son was born, unfortunately for me, the most beautiful thing in my life and the most painful thing in my life happened at the same time. Mm. Um, and so I can't really talk about his birth and my postpartum period without talking about alcoholism and being the wife of an alcoholic. So, um, when you asked me, uh, if things changed after my son was born and how that was at work, it was, uh, kind of a complicated answer because everything changed in a way that was beyond postpartum. So, I mean, I guess, I started like when you meet your significant other, when you're in college, you just like drinking is just part of going to college or at least it's part of my college experience. Right. Um, yeah. So he drank like everybody else. Right. Um, mm -hmm. binge drinking was a thing that everybody did and playing beer pong was a thing that everybody did. And in our society, it's like the only way adults hang, can hang out is if they're drinking every commercial, every movie, uh, how many breweries are in Knoxville right now? There's a lot. Um, so I didn't notice anything because he just drank like everybody else. But then the closer I got to giving birth to my son, the more I realized there's a problem. Because I would say, hey, I'm a month away from my due date and I'm really scared. Could you only have one drink? Because I don't want you to be intoxicated when I go into labor. And he couldn't do it. And then it would be like, 
oh, I'm, I'm two weeks away from my due date. I'm really scared. Could you not drink? Because I'm really scared that something will happen and, and you won't be sober. And he couldn't do it until like the day I went into labor, he was nursing a really bad hangover because he had gotten so drunk while golfing with his friends the day before. And I remember calling my sister and being like, I have to have you on standby because if he's drunk, he can't take me to the hospital. And she was kind of freaked out because she was the only person I had ever said anything to. Cause I guess that's one thing about my personality is I'm a two wing three on the Enneagram. Um, <laughs> so I think that's called like the host or the helper or something. Um, I like to take care of other people and I'm an extrovert, but I don't like to talk about myself. Like this is the most I've talked about myself forever. Like I'm the one asking wow. you how your vacation was. I'm not the one telling you everything about mine, you know, mm-hmm. like I like to help you solve your problems. I'm a very bubbly, happy person when I'm not, people don't know how to deal with me. Yeah. Uh, when I have a problem, I feel like it's a burden on someone else and I mm. can't talk to them about it because they have their own struggles and I just have to deal with it. Or I always say, I own my shit, you know, like I can take care of myself, you know? My mom said, you need Mm -hmm. to be able to take care of yourself. I can take care of myself, you know? So I, so I said that to my sister and that was the first time I'd ever said out loud that like, I think he's got a drinking problem. So then my son was born and everyone says postpartum life is so hard. And, uh, but for us, it was even harder because, you know, my son would wake up in the night and my husband would be really hard to wake up. And then when I did wake him up, he'd be really mean or angry, you know, like, He was never like Mm. physically abusive or anything like that, but he was just grouchy, you know? And I would have to be like, I need help. I did not have this baby by myself. We made the decision together. We planned to get pregnant. Like we got off my pill at the same time. Like we, like we all coordinated it, you know? Um, (laughs) This was not like a whoops. And he just couldn't be there for me the way I, I needed him to be. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard. And so I always say, I don't know what was postpartum depression and what was just depression. And I don't know, um, because yeah. it was just really muddy. And it feels kind of weird to like, like we're friends. Like I consider mm-hmm. you and I friendly and friends, but you're not in my inner circle. Like I never talk to anybody that's not in my inner circle about this. So it's kind of like weird to be yeah. potentially telling a lot of people, but. Well, thank you so much. <sighs> Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, it's like, it's good to be able to tell other people because through my story, there has to be a reason that it happened, right? That like, if someone can hear this and say, oh my God, this is me. She's speaking to me. I'm mm. dealing with this right now. Then that would be something positive to come from this. But um, Exactly. Anywho, sorry. Um when we had first gotten married, my husband had had to go to therapy because he had a little bit of a crisis of like, oh, now I have to be a provider, right? Oh. Like this sort of mm-hmm. pressure of like, I have to, t- I have to step up. I'm, I'm done being a kid. Like I have to provide. And then I think when we had our son, that's what made the alcoholism increase. Like it had always been a steady, like, I don't have a healthy coping mechanism. This is my coping mechanism, right? Mm-hmm. It had always been that, but it became worse because the anxiety of 
molding a human life and keeping a human alive was a lot. Yeah. And I don't really remember when he started to go to therapy after, but I remember just being like, we can't function like this, like this. It's I'm dying. And I think he was in therapy by the time my son was one. And one of our friends is a therapist and she was able to get him a really good therapist, which is another thing that I've been thinking about is like how lucky we are that we could afford therapy. Yeah, I can tell you right now we would be divorced. Uh, my husband might be dead. Uh, therapy was required. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he got a therapist was continuing to struggle with alcoholism. And then I think he, uh, he read that, um, I guess it was like Ben Affleck had posted about his struggles with alcoholism and that he'd been hiding it. And something about that just clicked in my husband. And he was like, if someone who's that big in the spotlight can be that vulnerable, I have to be honest with what I'm struggling with. Hmm. So he posted about being an alcoholic without telling me that he was going to do this on social media. I remember reading that post. Yeah. And I got flooded because I am private. I don't tell people Mm -hmm. this. The only person I've come close to telling this is my sister. And then now everybody knows. Hmm. And everybody's asking me questions and everybody's reaching out. And I was like overwhelmed. Um, but it was good because he did need accountability because he had kind of told some close friends, but you know, one of his friends was like, are you still doing the not drinking thing? You know? Mm. And like, just didn't take it seriously or would be like, is it okay if I have the six pack while we hang out? And like, he's like, no, not right now. (laughs) Like yeah, now it's not a big deal. But like then it was like, okay. You know, people just weren't taking it seriously. Um, so that, that Mm -hmm. ended up being good, but it ended up exposing me in a way I wasn't ready for. And that's the other thing about this is like when your spouse struggles with addiction, you, you feel like you can't talk to anybody about it because one, you'd be outing their problem. Mm -hmm. And two, you don't want people to not like them. Yeah. Cause like, if you think about it in the movies, like, the alcoholic is a terrible person who is laying on the floor and is yelling at his wife and beating his wife or can't keep a job. Yeah. And I remember being so thankful when that show, this is us came out and the best dad in the whole world is an alcoholic. Spoiler alert. If you've watched that and not watched that show, but like I have not watched it. The greatest character that everyone in that family looks up to as being their hero struggled with alcoholism. And I was so thankful when that show did that. Because I was like, oh, finally, <laughs> there's something in you know, society that's not just you being a terrible person if you're an alcoholic. Yeah. But anywho, going on tangents. Um, it's okay. <laughs> so then everybody knew. And it was good because I could have support. But I also just like was really depressed at that point. I remember like feeling like you just rolled Alyssa out at parties. Like uh, I was, I would go places and I would put on my Alyssa mask and I would be happy because that's what everybody expected me to be. And, um, I would come back and I would just feel soulless, you know, like just, uh, it was just terrible. Were you feeling that way just after 
he kind of like broke the news to everybody or were you had you been feeling that way prior to the the big reveal i had definitely been feeling that way prior um mm-hmm. but you know you just don't know how bad it is when you're in it you know like yeah and especially like when you're a new mom, you're just like arming yourself. You're just like, okay, this is, this is a hard day, but we're going to do it. And this was a hard day, but we're going to do it. And we're going to get over this like lip tie, you know, we're going to make it through this and keep breastfeeding and we're going to get through this sleep regression. And, you know, like you just like arm yourself and like that armor just builds and builds and builds, you know, cause you're just like, well, no one else is going to do it. I have to do it. Yeah. And so that's how it was with this. It was like, well, Clearly no one else is going to do it because you're not capable right now. So Mm -hmm. I just have to keep going and I can't be weak and I can't uh, let down people at my job and I can't make my family not like my husband by telling them all this stuff, you know, but over time I just like, it just became unbearable. And he was sober from that post for like six months. Mm. And then he started drinking again. I think it was July or August, like secretly, like I knew, but other people didn't know. And he had a support group that he was like part of to try to help and was going, but it wasn't sinking in. Um, Part of recovery is, you know, believing in like a higher power that can restore you to sanity. Right. And it's, um, Mm -hmm. my husband went to private Baptist school his entire life and came out of it an atheist. And so he was really struggling to like find his version of a spiritual power to lean on Mm -hmm. to help through that. And, uh, he just was drinking, like he would come home and just, hide in his office and drink and would go places I'm sure and drink to hide it and then throw it away in the recycling bin. So I wouldn't know, but I knew, you know, um, Mm -hmm. I remember laying in bed and looking up the term gaslighting. Mm -hmm. I had never knew that term and I came across it and I was like, Oh, that's what he's doing to me. Because I would say, I know you're drunk right now. He's like, no, I'm not, you know, or I would say, I know I heard you throw that away. No, you didn't, you know, just like making me feel crazy. I felt insane. Oh, wow. Um, I just like, cause when you can't trust your own hearing and your own sight and your own instincts, like you just feel crazy. Yeah. And then the anger comes out that, that depression, that's his anger. I remember like feeling like I was floating over my body, watching myself scream at him. <sighs> like I remember standing in the hallway, screaming at him so much for lying to me about drinking that I felt like. I was watching someone else do it. It's the only time in my life I've ever had quote an out of body experience. Yeah. Screaming because I was like, I cannot be the only one that realizes you're insane. Like Mm. he could, he could convince himself of anything because alcoholism, what it wants is it wants for you to be alone so that you can continue to feed your addiction, addiction Mm -hmm. in general. Like it can't win unless you're alone and it, tricks your brain into thinking you don't need anybody and that nobody understands you and that everybody else is the problem. And if you could just get rid of them, then you would be happy. And so that's what started happening. Just pushing me away, pushing me away. And I'm very stubborn. And like I told you, (laughs) I have a plan. 
And this was not my plan to divorce my husband. Yeah. I married my husband to marry my husband and to grow old with my husband and have my 50th wedding anniversary. That was my plan, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, you're not going to push me away. Like, I'm not, I'm here. Like your son needs you. You're not going to push me away. Stop. Stop lying to me about this. I am here. I need you to be honest with me. But eventually he had such a good therapist. Like the week I was going to ask him to like leave our house because I just could not be screaming in front of my kid anymore. I just, he was getting too old and I was like, he's going to remember this. Mm -hmm. The week I was going to ask my husband to leave because I just couldn't live like that. I was feeling insane. He said, he woke up one morning and he said, I'm going to go to rehab. And I was like, what now? Why? Wait, because there was no plan. I hadn't prepared for it. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, we have the kid and we have this this weekend and we have these concert tickets and we have blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, if I don't go right now, I'm never going. Mm. And so we called and he got a bed and he went to rehab for 30 days. Oh my goodness. So he was, he was there inpatient for 30 days. Yeah. And the first time I went to visit him, I was so mad at him. I was so mad. Mm. And I think I yelled at him for like the first five minutes of it, which is probably cruel, but it's just how I felt. Mm. And then, you know, we cried and it was good. And I mean, it was good that he was there, but it was scary because I had a, gosh, um, my son was 18 months old. Wow. So I brought um, our son to rehab to see him, you know. And before, yeah. and before we left, and I know that no one will believe this, but it really happened before we left. My husband said, I love you. And my son said, I love you too. And he was only 18 mm-hmm. months old. And it was the first time he'd ever said that. Aww. And my husband just cried and, and it sounds so cheesy. I'm sorry, but no, it's not. <laughs> I'm gonna, I mean, I feel like I want to cry too. Um, And my husband, he was, that was his God moment. That was the moment that clicked for him. It was like, he couldn't hear that he was worthy of love until he heard our son say that. And what a miracle it was that our son said that to him for the first time he'd ever said that to anyone right then. And for my husband, that was proof that there is something bigger than himself that could help him through it. And from that point on, he's been able to fully, you know, what is the phrase? Let go and let God. He's been fully able to just allow that to be an option. Not that every day Mm -hmm. you're good at giving up control because you're human beings, but allow that to be an option that Mm -hmm. I don't have to carry this burden. I could let this go and I could and feel peace, you know? And, uh, he's found a program that he works and that's kind of annoying too, because you have to be willing to, you know, your spouse goes away for 30 days and then they come back and they do 60 days of outpatient treatment and you have to like, let them go to that. (laughs) And then when they're back and you want them back in your life, you have to let them go to meetings because they have to go to meeting every day. You know, it's like a hundred meetings in a hundred days is what they say for things. And they have to work their recovery. Like 
You can't just say, I am not an alcoholic anymore. You know, you're always an alcoholic. You're just a recovering alcoholic. Like there are things that he still does to this day, alcoholically, you know, he plays video games alcoholically. Like he just can't stop, you Mm -hmm. know, and uh, yeah. he eats sugar alcoholically. Like he loves sugar, you know, um, <laughs> like when he does something, that's just sort of part of his nature. Um, but through this, like when he went to rehab, I was able to go to a weekend there and just like surround myself with family members of people who were alcoholics or drug addicts and surround myself with people who were alcoholics or addicts. And it was really good to learn about the disease. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I struggle with feeling angry at society for being so accepting of alcohol, but so dismissive of drugs, right? Like saying drugs and alcohol, mm-hmm. like, well, alcohol is a drug. It's just the one that we accept. Mm-hmm. And I have just, I struggle a little bit with some resentment and some anger for that because I mean, oftentimes people will say, like, there'll be shirts that say Rosé the Day Away that you can buy in the tween section of Target. Oh. Yeah. That was for sale last year. And there'll be cups that say Mommy Juice. And I just, I understand how alcohol lets you unwind. But I just feel like we as a society don't talk about healthy coping mechanisms with things. Yeah. And it's so accepted to drink excessively and sometimes encouraged and not warned about like you're warned about drugs, right? Mm -hmm. But you're not really warned about alcohol. You're like praised for when you get to be 21 and you get to do this thing. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just struggle with it. Like I, I personally, like since my husband got sober, I mean, my last drink was my 30th birthday. Cause I was like, I knew that for us in a relationship, we couldn't be together. If I drank, I think it'd be too hard for him. Maybe now it'd be different, but I felt like I couldn't. Yeah. And how does that change social engagements or interactions with friends and family and other couples and things like that. In the beginning, it was hard. I don't think that, I think that my friends have, I have, we have the best friends. We have the most amazing village of friends, but my friends wanted to be supportive and ask like, Oh, we're going to have this event. Is it okay if there's alcohol or something? And like, I made a rule. My husband didn't even make it. I made the rule. There's no alcohol allowed on my property. Like, Mm. Every you can go to yoga and have beer. Like there's yeah, there's <laughs> it's everywhere. there's no place in the whole world that you can go and not have alcohol in your face. My you know point whatever of an acre of land is that place that you can go and there's not alcohol. That's just my rule. And my friends mm-hmm. have been really respectful of that, and that they don't even think about it. You know, they just like don't bring stuff when they come to my house, and we don't have it. But at first, mm-hmm. it, my husband was really afraid that, like, he wasn't himself if he didn't drink, you know, like, the mm. tortured artist. Like, if I don't have anything to be tortured about, what am I going to write about? Can I ever write music again? Yeah. But you know what's funny, Jen, is when he was in active addiction, he never picked up a guitar. Mm. But the moment he got sober, he played and he wrote music 
he's written music and played every day since. I know my husband's listened to yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he, he never did it when he was in active addiction. It's just like, it was gone. And he thought that it would be the opposite, you know, like I need yeah. this to be able to be an artist, but he's been able to make his most impactful and profound and, you know, good sounding music, um, since he got sober. Um, but our friends, he was worried that I was trying to answer that question. He was worried that he wouldn't have <laughs> friends anymore. Like his friends wouldn't be there. But so far that hasn't been a problem, you know, like sometimes he still worries that people don't invite us to things because they want to drink. Um, mm. and I'll never know if that's true. <laughs> I don't think it is, but I'll never know. <laughs> you know, no one's ever going to tell me that, but, um, for the most part, it, everyone that matters to be here is still here. Mm-hmm. And that's been good. And and while he was in rehab, oh my gosh, our friends were so good to me. Um, yeah. They would come over and hang out with me. And like even the guy friends that were more his friends would check on me and we'd hang out, you know? So that's nice. And it was really funny. Like his dad moved in with me for a little while and like painted my house <laughs> while my husband was in rehab. It was kind of funny, just like living with my father-in-law, but it made our relationship closer. I think like, that's sweet. Isn't it funny? It's just like, we were roommates for a little while and he helped me take care of my son. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. There is one thing that I want to ask about because so talking about like social engagements and also thinking about um, kind of one of your intentions with sharing this story is to like let people know that this is a thing and just to bring awareness and find connection. So I remember um, we were getting ready to have a bonfire. We were having, maybe it was like a spur of the moment bonfire and we wanted to invite you guys. And I was talking to Travis and I was saying, you know, we want to invite our friends, but is it a, like, we're going to have alcohol there. There will be other families that are drinking. How do we respectfully, you know, bring this up with our friends to be sensitive um, and respectful, you know, like, so I don't know if you remember, I think, I think I texted you. I don't think Travis texted your husband. I think it was me that texted you just to be like, Hey, we want to invite you to this, but like, we want you to know there is going to be alcohol here. Like, so we understand if you don't want to come, but that was really hard for me to send that message because I was worried that I would be offensive um, in some way. And so maybe you could share some your experience of that if you remember it and also um, just how, if you have any tips in general of how to, when a friend or loved one comes out as having a problem like this, having an alcoholic addiction or some other kind of addiction, how to be sensitive to that? Yeah, that's a good question. I do remember when you did that. And I remember feeling really excited because one, when you have kids, nobody ever invites you to say anything anymore. <laughs> right. so you're already isolated then. Cause they're like, Oh, they have a kid and we don't want that around. So we're just not gonna, but, um, or they're too busy. Um, so they can't come. One, I remember being really excited and I saw this quote, it was about something way darker. It was about infant loss, but it was like, when you bring up that child 
you're not um, reminding them that they died, you know, you're reminding them that they lived or something like that. But when you said this, it reminded me of this, like they, that person hasn't forgotten their loss, right? If you bring up someone's Mm -hmm. kid and you're afraid that they'll remember that their kid dies, like, well, that person thinks about that every single day. So you're not reminding them of that. Um, Mm -hmm. But you're reminding them that you're connected with them and that you know something special in their life and that you're there for them. Right. So when you bring up, there's going to be alcohol there and you want me to be aware, I haven't forgotten that that's a problem for us. You know, we think about that every day. What you're reminding me of is that you care about me Mm. and that you still want me in your life, but you want me to feel comfortable. Right. So I can't speak for everybody, but for me, that felt like, Jen sees me. She knows what I struggle with. What you're reminding me of when you say I'm having this party and I want to invite you, but there's going to be alcohol is that you care about me and you want me to feel comfortable and safe. So I don't, I don't get upset from that. I feel like you're a real friend when you do that, you know? Um, yeah. And it's gotten better. I mean, now when you did that, that was maybe a year ago. Now, Mm -hmm. now you probably wouldn't even have to do that because of where he is in his sobriety. Like he can be around people that drink and it doesn't bother him. And when we get into situations, you know, if if your spouse is in recovery and you still want to have some sort of social life and do things, you just have to plan ahead, right. And make a plan. So Mm -hmm. before we go to a wedding, we think about how he could leave if he gets uncomfortable. We just talk about it. So Mm -hmm. if we were to go to your party beforehand, we would talk and we would say, okay, Jen's told me they're having this party. There's going to be alcohol there. If you feel uncomfortable, I want you to come tell me and we'll just leave. Or if I don't want that, let's say it's your birthday party and you're my best friend and I don't want to leave. We'll drive separate cars. Mm -hmm. So as someone who's in this now, you just have to kind of talk more than you ever did and make kind of escape plans so that the person doesn't feel trapped, right? And for the person that's a friend, having that one-on-one with someone, I personally am not offended. I'm comforted. You know, it's like, you care about me. Well, that's good to know. (laughs) But it is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for people. You don't want to bring up the worst thing that's ever happened in my life. (laughs) You know what I mean? But it's like, I think about it a lot. So you're not reminding me of it. I know. (laughs) Um, And it is kind of taboo. You know, I mean, definitely. I mean, I'm not using my husband's name on purpose because there's a certain level of anonymity that needs to happen for that person to be, you know, work with a, their program and to, you know, still have their life. So you don't want to like out that person or talk about it too much, you know. But um, yeah, when you have a close friend who's dealing with it, have those conversations. They'll feel just closer to you and that you really care about them. Um. Through this, I mean, like, I guess I should have brought this up. My husband didn't just get sober and then everything was magically fine and we were just in love and everything was perfect. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had a lot of resentment. I was very, I I was very angry. Um, (laughs) This is going to sound even sillier, but Beyonce's Lemonade is about uh, Jay-Z cheating on her, right? Well, Mm -hmm. let me tell you, the parallels between being cheated on and having your spouse uh, lie to you and have this secret life of drinking, and uh, they're very close, right? 
So yeah. uh, part of my therapy is watching Lemonade and crying my eyes out and feeling completely seen and listening to that every day for a month. And then my other part was going to couples counseling with my spouse and saying the things that hurt me the most in a safe space and talking about that and hearing him say his things. And we just talk so much more and so much more honest now than we did before. I mean, we always talked, but now it's very intentional. Like, I know that you're going to have something difficult. Do you want to make a plan? And I'm on your side, you know, before we go into the situation where there's drinking or yeah, we just, we just have to like, we just have to take it head on, you know, and think about it before it happens, you know, before a situation happens. I want somebody to talk to me like that about like any hard thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like just that sounds so um that like I'm on your I'm on your side. That's so powerful. Yeah. So powerful. And we struggle with that personally as a couple. It was very easy for us to get to the and as parents, us versus them kind of thing. It was like dad versus mom. Yeah. Like, you know, it would just when something was going wrong, we would bicker at each other for it going wrong instead of realizing like we're on the same team. It's, mm-hmm. it's not us versus each other. It's us versus the problem. So yeah, it's, we've had to talk about those hard things and, and speak how we feel in the moment. And one thing that, you know, he's had to do is like when he does something wrong, immediately say that he recognizes it and that he's sorry for it. Like, you know, when you did something wrong and, um, instead of just letting it go and whatever, you just have to own what you did. Right. Um, and so Mm -hmm. trying to own that a little sooner, um, instead of letting it fester. Right. Yeah. So we have to do that a lot more. And I mean, it's our relationship is not perfect, but we work at it every day. And like, I have a friend who's, spouses struggling with, um, addiction. And not too long ago, they brought up like, well, you know, Alyssa did it. They're, they're okay. You know, why can't we be okay? And I was like, does, does he realize that we went to therapy and that he went to rehab and that, that this is a struggle that we deal with every single day? Like, we're not just okay. Cause he put down the bottle. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, we, we, you have to work at it. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 it it wasn't just a, okay, now it's over. It's an ongoing thing. And so how has that, how has his addiction or his recovery shown up any, has it shown up any differently now that life is totally different in quarantine? I guess I just get to, um, see it in action. So like part Mm. of it is learning healthy coping skills, right? So my husband is a hypochondriac. So a global pandemic is literally his worst nightmare. Oh, right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But he's been spending the last two and a half years building up tools for his toolbox and I'm watching him put them in play. Oh, that's great. So he's journaling every day and he's meditating And he is trying to work out, even though he doesn't like to do it all the time. It's just to get himself moving. And 
mm-hmm. he's calling people and talking about it and uh, meeting with a support group uh, virtually and reading his books. Um, he's sitting on the couch and marking up a, a book on like self-help and, you know, it's like he's doing the work mm-hmm. and he always did the work before, but I'm getting to see it because I never leave his side now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm getting to see how it, he, it only works if you work it and he's working it. And how are you working it? Because we've, we've mentioned healthy coping skills. And so like, what are your, what are your coping skills? Um, working out is definitely something that I have to do to feel sane. I have to exercise. Mm-hmm. I've been calling people, my girlfriends, we do like a weekly Google hangout. Um, cause I have to just talk to people, just expose myself to other people. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been trying to recognize when I am tight and I'm about to explode and asking for help. That's hard for me. Um, yeah. And just saying, Hey, I need a break from our son. I just need like 15 minutes to lay down. And I know you're going to be upset with me for asking this cause you're in the middle of something, but I just need it, you know, just like saying what I need. And yeah. being clear about what I need, not dancing around it and being passive aggressive, but being clear and stating my needs. Mm-hmm. I've been working on that. And I guess that's, um, guess that's another thing like codependence, the idea of codependence. Yeah. Oftentimes. So like my husband's a four on the Enneagram and I'm a two. So, um, twos when they're unhealthy can be codependent and, fours when they're unhealthy they can really just use that codependent person you know so like I have this need to serve right like I just need to make you feel good and I need to be able to fix things I need to make you better you know at the detriment of myself yeah and so I've been trying to like worry about myself and if he needs me, he'll come to me or, you know, I recognize things with him. And I can talk to him, but trying not to fix everything for him, trying to just do what I need for myself, which is hard. That's so hard. I, I'm i not even, I mean, I don't really know what I am on the Enneagram because <laughs> I haven't actually taken a test, but yeah, letting other people have their emotions and not necessarily trying to fix them is oh it's so hard for me so hard like I have to talk when I talk to my friends and they talk about problems I have to say is this a conversation where you're complaining about it or is this a conversation where we're going to work on fixing it because yeah like is this venting or like are we trying to be productive because I will make my (laughs) friends mad because I'll be trying to fix it you know and I don't mean to I'm just trying to help but I can't I can't help myself you know and I'll make my husband mad because uh uh, he'll just want to complain and I'll be coming up with solutions and he'll be like, this wasn't that conversation, <laughs> <laughs> which is a terrible impression of my husband. And I'm sorry, but, <laughs> but I, I struggle with that so bad because I need to feel needed and I need to feel like I'm helping someone and it's a problem. So that's a really great, so just asking for what you need really clearly, not skirting around the issue, not being passive aggressive. That is a huge 
way to insist in just like the small day-to-day life. Um, yeah. Sometimes I think we like some of the stories that have been shared on, on the show of people insisting have been like really big moments. Um, but there's also really quiet or, I mean, it's not, you could be yelling. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> um, but there are like, there are those small acts of insistence where we really do have to um, just ask for what we need. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, like you said, that's kind of a daily thing. And that's a, an intentional thing that I'm trying to do now for myself. Because when you are the kind of personality where you just really want to serve, it's hard to say, I need help too. It's hard for me to raise that flag. And I've been trying, you know, through this experience to do that more for myself because, you know, I have a role to play in all this. I'm not saying it was my fault, you know, but I have a role to play in all this and how I handled things. And I, um, I have to own the things I did poorly and the things I did well and just work forward. Um, and that is probably, that is a good, that is probably my insist moment is that I just try to do that for myself. <laughs> Cause like you said, it seems small, but it is big. Yeah, it is big. And I guess, uh, if I had a big moment or, you know, just in, insisting on what you will take and what you won't. Right. Like mm-hmm. when I was a, like no part of me wanted to kick my husband out of my house for drinking. No part of me wanted to not to divorce him or anything like that. But I got to this point where I could not live like this and he couldn't live like this. And just getting to this point where I was just like, what do I deserve? What is the life? I Even if I'm embarrassed, even if I feel like a failure, even if I hurt, like it can't be any worse than this. Like, I just can't do this anymore. Yeah. And just being willing to say the words that scare you, but they're the words you need. Being willing to say the words that scare you, but those are the words you need. I, I'm just saying it because <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's a, that's really good. That's a good quote. <laughs> That'll be my sisterhood <laughs> quote on the website. Yeah. Um, but it's hard because, you know, like, like, I, I mean, I'm just backtracking now, but like, I... I have a picture of myself that I portray to the world as to who I am and what my life is. I have a plan for what my life is going to be, you know? And Mm -hmm. when someone who's tethered to you in this way that you love and you've chosen to spend your life with throws a giant wrench in the plan you had for yourself and you have to completely start all over again, there's not really a rule book for that. And it feels really lonely because you're like, well, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Now I got to like go tell everybody that the plan I had just blew up in my face. But you know, it's funny. Like since then someone once asked me, they were like, how do you just like deal with things and not let so-and-so bother you? And I was like, I wish I could tell you that there was an easier way other than having your whole life explode and you have to be reborn again for you to become this like, oh, that's like a little issue. It's okay. I will get through it. <laughs> like have a perspective yeah. shift 
but that's unfortunately the only way I know how. (laughs) (laughs) It's no big deal. No big whoop. You just have to like completely break in half and humble yourself to your core in front of everyone you know. And then it doesn't matter so much that this didn't work out. (laughs) Like, oh, this problem's insignificant. Uh, I can do this. That reminds me of the interview I did with Kate Siemens. Um, Her husband passed away unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. And she's said, she said in that interview and she said on her social media, like the worst possible thing that could happen has happened. So everything else I know I'm going to be able to, to handle. I know I'm going to be able to get through all of these other things because the worst has already happened. I don't want to spoil big fish for you, but (laughs) there's this part where like he goes to a witch and he sees in her eye how he's going to die. And from then on, nothing else is scary because he knows how he's going to go. Cause like, Oh, well I can live through this because I know how it's going to go. So, um, I always say all the time, like, Oh, it's fine. Cause that's not how I go. It's fine. I I can get through this cause that's not how I go. (laughs) This isn't going to take me down. (laughs) Yeah. That's not how I roll. No, it's fine. <laughs> I say that to one of my friends who's got some anxiety sometime and she laughs at me, but I'm like, this isn't how you go, honey. I know it. It's just not how you go. <laughs> You're going to be okay. You're going to live through this. That's perfect. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking to me today. Yeah, thank you. Um, and for being generous with your story and your time. Um, it was such a privilege to hear it. Uh, thank you for giving me the outlet. It was kind of weird to like, you know, it's been two and a half years and it was kind of weird to go back there. I didn't yeah. think, I thought I would be completely emotionless when I talked about it because it's been so long ago that I've just like put, put that away, you know, but it sort of yeah. kind of flooded back a little bit, but it was good. And it just makes me really thankful for where we are and that I have a partner that cared enough about himself to get help. Um, Cause you can't do it for somebody else. You have to do it for yourself. Uh, your kids aren't enough. Your spouse isn't enough. Your family is not enough. Like you have to want a better life for yourself. And I'm just really thankful that he wanted that. I mean, you wanted it too. And he wanted it. And you insisted. And he had to insist on himself too. Yeah, he's a Mr. Insister. He is a Mr. Insister. <laughs> that is a shirt that I want to get made. <laughs> I love it. Uh, there's some local screen printers I can get you in touch with. Yeah. Because I, I think yeah. that's a great one. I When you first said that quote, I was like, oh, my God, it's perfect. It is. It's perfect. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Jen. So I recently read in the Knoxville News Sentinel online that alcohol sales are up this quarantine as opposed to last quarantine. I don't know. So I feel like this episode maybe is coming at a good time. The mantra has kind of been safer at home and not everybody is safer at home. So I'm recognizing that I feel very privileged that my home is very safe. There are some resources that Alyssa wanted me to share for folks out there listening who might need some support. So there's Alcoholics Anonymous, that's aa.org, and they have virtual meetings right now. 
And there's also Al-Anon, which is a support group for families and friends of people affected by the disease of alcoholism. And those meetings are also being held digitally right now. And you can find out more information about that at knox-al-anon.org. And I'll be putting those links in the show notes as well. So if you or a loved one need some support during this crazy, unusual time, if you need help developing some healthy coping skills, please, 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 please reach out. If you just like cannot wait for the next craft fair, I mean, I can't either. I'm really excited. I'm going to be so ready to buy some things, some cute things on hopefully June 28th. You can get more info about the Retropolitan Craft Fair at retropolitancraft.com. And I'm going to throw the social links for that in the show notes as well. Okay. So I think that's all. I haven't been down here long enough, though. Remember at the beginning when I said that I came down here to escape doing the dishes? Well, doing this like pre-interview and post-interview wrap-up, it just takes like takes like eight minutes or something. He's still doing the dishes. And I feel like if I go back up there, then I'm going to have to help. So maybe... But I, you don't want to listen to me ramble on for the entire time of that, so... I'm going to I'm going to say goodbye and then I'm going to stay down here and just uh chill until the dishes are done. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of In Sisterhood. Please feel free to follow or subscribe or whatever they say, whatever the lingo is where you get your podcasts. Leave a, a rating, leave a review tell a friend, tag us on Instagram, whatever. Show us some love. We're on Instagram at InSisterhood and we're on the interwebs at InSisterhoodPod.com. That's all. I'm going to hunger down for a few more minutes until I hear uh, the activity die down upstairs. And I'll see you next week or listen, you'll listen to me I will be thinking of you. (laughs) I don't know. Okay. Tune in next week. I insist. I insist.